If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up on Studios America, Jack Helmuth is here to talk about the incredible Bob Saget and reflect on the modern state of comedy, which is kind of a catastrophe at the moment. We'll look at the legendary Dan Patrick and his reasons for turning down an extremely lucrative ESPN contract. And Joe Biden is preparing to ask Congress for more money to battle COVID-19, which begs a big freaking question. What happened to all that money he already got? Let's do a little digging as we do yet another Biden COVID failure. Stu does America. Uh, I really can't take the COVID stuff right now. I mean, I haven't been able to take it for a long time, as you may know, on this program. But I just really can't take the kind of constant back and forth uh, between groups of people who are never going to convince each other of anything. There's not a lot of people to be won over at this point in this nonsensical period of time we are existing in. And, you know, I will say, like, we get to the point where we just lock in these narratives and we never update them. Like, can we have, let me ask you for this. This is just, and you know me. I'm, I'm a guy who gives you a graph of Palooza every once in a while, and today's one of those days. And I get really irritated by really dumb things that happen, particularly when they happen with data. So let me at least give you this thing. Can we please... Please, Lord God, update our narratives. Can we do that? For example, what is a narrative? The narrative is Israel is one of the most vaccinated countries in the world. The U.S., a bunch of hicks, they're not doing anything. And Sweden, they stood up and said, we're not going to do one thing about this pandemic and everything's going to be fine. Can we update this a little bit? Let me give you the current vaccination rates for these three countries. The most vaccinated of the three is Sweden. The second most vaccinated of the three is the United States. The third most vaccinated of the three is Israel. Israel is not the most vaccinated country in the world and has not been for a very long time. In fact, most of their vaccinations happen earlier than everyone else. That's why people think that they're the most vaccinated, but that also means they're the most uh, outdated, if you will. The longest uh, they've had the longest timeline since the beginning. Uh, And so that's why they're on shot number 97 or whatever they're on. I don't care what you do with that data. I don't care if you still say that maybe now you can say Israel is the really smart one and Sweden's the really dumb one. Or if you're on the left, you could say now that Sweden's the really smart one and Israel's the really dumb one. I don't care what you do with the data, but please know what it is. I'm begging you. Please know what it is. And you know what? I got to say, if maybe our uh, data was a little bit better, a little bit more informative, maybe people could make judgments based on that data. And that's kind of where I am today. I'm very upset about something that would only piss me off. But I'm still, you know, luckily this is my stupid show. So I get to come out here and rant about whatever I feel like every day. And this is the thing I'm ranting about today. Let me give you how much money. We've spent on COVID-19. Here you go. This is uh, from the uh, this is tracking the COVID response from the COVID money tracker. We have spent uh, about 
6.6 trillion dollars. Now that does not account the long bar at the bottom, which was Federal Reserve actions, which is another 7 trillion, but it doesn't exactly tie into what I'm talking about today. So I'll even give him a break on that. We've spent 6.6 trillion dollars on what? Hmm, on what? That's the question we have today. Look, I can understand some of this money went to people whose businesses got shut down. Some of it went to expanded unemployment. Some of it went to grants to companies all over the place. We know how some of this money was spent. Some of it was spent on developing the vaccines and other treatments. Some of it has been spending that you'd throw into the general bucket of, okay, I understand how that ties into COVID. I got it. But I can't understand how after spending $6.6 trillion, we still have so many big questions as to where we stand in this pandemic. The data that we have is trash. And after you spend $6.6 trillion, I'm a little upset about that. I feel like maybe we should at least know what the situation is rather than guessing at it constantly, having to go to 15,000 different data sources to try to piece it all together ourselves. What, what year is this? Is it March 2020 still? Sometimes it feels like it is. I tweeted this the other day, and I don't know. I, I just can't even understand this. Um, let me give you this. I, now, we're going to talk about this in a second. Private COVID data efforts shut down, shut them down, because we were told Biden would improve data quality with all the trillions of dollars he was spending. It is yet another undercovered and inexcusable failure of his first year. How can this still be the case? This is from The New York Times, quote, National data don't allow us to distinguish between people hospitalized because of COVID-19 and those who happen to test positive while being admitted for something else. How is that possible two years into this? And I mentioned that private data operations uh, closed down. This was not the only one uh, that did this, but the Atlantic had a pretty good data operation uh, called the COVID-19 Tracking Project. And they signed off this year. In March of 2021, they were like, you know what? Biden's in control. I think this is going to be okay. We can stop doing this. This is what their quote was. As we wind down the one-year point, we're both satisfied that the federal government is now producing enough data to replace many of our metrics and eager to turn our attention to analysis of those areas and data like race and ethnicity data, some states' testing counts, and information on COVID-19 in long-term care facilities that remain inadequate. Well, they went away. They stopped doing a lot of this uh, data, and so did many other places. They, it just wasn't covered. We're getting the data from the government right now, right? Biden's in control. Everything's going to be fine. Well, it's not fine. It's been a catastrophic failure. The fact that we don't know basic things, like what I just talked about, uh, where, okay, wait a minute, there's someone who comes into the hospital, and uh, you can just ask them uh, some basic questions. For example, are you vaccinated or are you not? How many shots have you had? What kind of vaccine have you had? Really easy, right? They're just going to answer your questions. You can put it down in a little Google uh, spreadsheet. Should be fine. Should be a big deal. Or, for example, hey, you're a 14-year-old kid. You're filming a YouTube video. You're skateboarding on your roof. You fell off. You broke your arm. You just tested positive for COVID. Are you here because you broke your arm or are you here because you have the sniffles? Which one is it? Really basic, easy stuff for doctors to figure out. Could be put pretty easily into a spreadsheet and shared. But yet that data is somehow eluding people in the CDC. So where is all this money gone? How do we not have a few billion dollars to throw at making the data that we need to know reliable? How is this possible two years into this? 
Let me give you some of the things that we have spent money on. I think you'll appreciate them. Of the funds appropriated under Title III of the Act that are made available for the assistance for Pakistan, not less than $15 million shall be made available for democracy programs, and not less than $10 million shall be made available for gender programs. Gender programs in Pakistan. COVID-19 spending. Funds for resource study of Springfield, Illinois race riot. It's got a lot to do with COVID. Statement of policy regarding the succession or reincarnation of the Dalai Lama. Very COVID related. Maybe the Dalai Lama dies from COVID, has to come back, gets reincarnated. What are we going to say about it? Obvious COVID tie there. Commission tasked with educating consumers about the dangers associated with using or storing portable fuel containers for flammable liquids near an open flame. You shouldn't do that. I just saved you a bunch of million dollars. Don't put your gasoline next to the fireplace. $40 million will be allocated for the necessary expenses for the operation, maintenance, and security of the Kennedy Center, which received $25 million in another COVID relief project earlier this year. $86 million for assistance to Cambodia. $130 million for Nepal. $135 million for Burma. $453 million to Ukraine, $700 million to Sudan, and we've created a Women's History Museum, an American Latino, or Latinx, museum as part of the Smithsonian. That's where your money went. And you know what? Those are the good things your money went for. Those, at least you know, you got something out of. There's been 474 people charged with crimes related to the theft of COVID relief funds. That money went to nothing except their crimes. I hope you liked paying for them. COVID relief fraud potentially totals $100 billion. The Secret Service came up with that number, $100 billion in fraud. What could we do with $50 billion when it comes to actually making the data that we have reliable so that people can understand what is happening? Let me give you this from Rochelle Walensky. I kind of mentioned it a little earlier. Rochelle Walensky talking to Brett Baer about what's actually going on in the hospitals right now. In some hospitals that we've talked to, up to 40% of the patients who are coming in with COVID are coming in not because they're sick with COVID, but because they're coming in with something else and have uh, had COVID or the Omicron variant detected. Right. But I guess, do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that breakdown? Um, yes, of course, with Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, of course, um, takes a few weeks to and is, uh, takes a few weeks to collect. Um, and of course, Omicron has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming. Mm, good to hear. I'm glad to hear now they're finally thinking about this. Now, of course, this is something that conservatives have been complaining about for a while. We all know that some people come to the hospital for something else. Everybody that comes in the hospital now, they test for COVID to see if they have it. And uh, some of those come out positive. And then they get added to the hospital registry, and it gives us a weird sense as to what's happening. I mean, even Rochelle Walensky is saying 40% in some hospitals are this way. That's a big, big deal. Now, we hear all these reports from the media that say, hey, hospitalizations are up. They're, I think they just crossed the all-time high today. Um, and, well, what does that mean? It means hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. And this was something we were very familiar with from back in the early days of COVID. We saw it in New York City. We saw it in Detroit. We saw it in uh, New Orleans to some degree. Certainly saw it in northern Italy at its worst. 
it got really ugly there. And we don't want that to happen again. We don't want freezer trucks set up outside the hospitals because we can't fit the dead bodies. But that is not what is happening. Now, this doesn't mean we're not stressing hospitals right now. Think about what she just talked about. Someone comes in, uh, broken arm, fell off the roof after uh, onto their cat when they were filming a YouTube video or whatever happened. And they come in and they test positive for COVID. Well, normally in a situation with a broken arm, you put them in probably a couple people in the same room and, you know, it's a broken arm. They fix it up. Well, you can't put the person who's COVID positive in the same room with someone who's not COVID positive while they have a broken arm. So now you're talking about two rooms instead of one room for the same amount of people. Now, sometimes you can combine things, but this obviously stresses a hospital and it's space a little bit because you have to basically come up with two areas for people. When 30 and 40 percent of people who are coming in are testing positive for COVID, you got a situation here and you're going to have to deal with it. That does stress the hospitals. Add on to that that a lot of people who work at the hospitals are also coming down with COVID-19. I mean, pretty much everybody in this building outside of me has COVID. I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, but only slight. It's just one of those things. It's blowing through the population right now. So the rates are really high. So what do you take from that? Well, you know, uh, staffing shortages are real. I got to tell you, uh, KFC, Taco Bell did not open on time today. I was there, obviously, at the opening, like I am every day, and did not open on time today. Why? They didn't have enough people there. Uh, we've seen restaurants closed. I was at a restaurant last night with my kid. They had closed off giant parts of the restaurant because they don't have anybody to serve these areas. It's a real issue for everybody to remain staffed right now just because everybody is sick. That doesn't mean they're all dying. But, you know, a lot of people have COVID right now, and it's, and it's an issue, not to mention all the normal viruses that uh, blow around this, this time of year. So, yeah, it can stress out hospitals, but have you seen this being put into perspective at all? Let me give you this graph. This is a, a chart uh, measuring all hospitalizations as well as COVID-19 patients, people there uh, for COVID. And you do see an uptick, of course, at the end. We are at all-time high levels for COVID patients. But if you look at the green part of this graph, you will see that increase happening now with Omicron. However, if you look at the top of the graph, what you see is all hospital uh, uh, admissions. And you see that number is relatively stable between 550 and 600,000 and has been for months and months and months and months and months. So what usually seems to occur is when you have a rise in COVID-19 patients, you will usually have some adjustments made by the hospitals. Maybe some things that could be put off for a while are put off. But, you know, yes, hospitalizations become a logistical issue. Maybe there's not enough employees. Maybe it's hard to find a place to put people with broken legs that also happen to have COVID. But that does not mean we're looking at, you know, northern Italy in February of 2020. That is it's a totally different situation. Why isn't that data more available? Let me give you this. This is um, this is a, a graph that's been floating around for a while. And this is the type of stuff that's just infuriating to me. This is a graph, uh, New York City hospitalization based on vaccine status. Now, what you see in this graph, and I will explain for my wonderful podcast viewers who like the way I paint the mental picture of graphs better than actually seeing them. What you see here is, you know, the typical thing that you've seen in a lot of graphs where the unvaccinated is curving up dramatically and the vaccinated group is not going up all that much. What's interesting about this, and it's not a huge surprise, uh, but what you see here is that the, uh, the, the data ends on December 18th. This is a brand new graph. That is in, uh, I think it was the New York Times. December 18th. What good 
does it know? What, what is it good does it know at this point? When we're in the middle of Omicron, what good does it, is it for us to know what was happening on December 18th pre-Omicron? What, what good is that? It wasn't even really here in large part at that point. And that's almost four weeks ago. Wouldn't it be interesting for us to know now what is going on? We're in the middle of a pandemic. How do we not know on a day-to-day basis what's going on? We see stories like, well, you can't trust the data this weekend because there was a holiday. What the hell are you talking about? There's plenty of people out there that will take your money to make phone calls to hospitals and write down numbers into a spreadsheet so we know how many people are there for what reason. Wouldn't it be interesting to know? Why are we guesstimating? Why is the director of of the CDC guesstimating how many people are in hospitals right now? It's insanity. We spent all of this money and we have no idea what's actually going on. Let me give you this one. This is another one. Uh, This is COVID cases. Now, this is a graph put out by the CDC. Uh, and they show what the difference is between unvaccinated and fully vaccinated people. And you see that unvaccinated people have about five times as high a chance to get a case. And that is great information from November 20th. November 20th? What, what use? We all know it's not five to one now because Omicron has broken through at a much higher rate than uh, previous variants when it comes to the vaccines. So what is it now? Like right now, what is it right now? How do we not know? How do we not know that number with much more detail? Well, this has been another failure of the Biden administration who's taken multiple trillions of dollars and has not solved a basic problem like this. Now, cases can be tough, and I will give you that. But look at the, look at the version of this chart for deaths. Now, yes, the uh, unvaccinated population is about 13 times as likely to die than the vaccinated population. That number has been pretty consistent between 11 and 15 to 20 uh, times as high throughout this entire period measured here since basically vaccines came uh, into effect. But that number is from not only before Omicron, it's before Halloween. What on earth does that, why would that even make any difference to us at all to know? This is the most recent version of this chart that has come out from the CDC. October 30th. How do we, they're deaths. Now I can understand a couple of weeks, it might be difficult to know, but the people are dead. It's pretty easy to figure out the information as to whether they were vaccinated or not. Hospitalizations, they're still alive. You just ask them the question and call the data into a centralized location. We should know that number every single day. It should be not only a number of vaccinated versus unvaccinated. We should know every single level of dose. One shot, two shots, three shots, Johnson and Johnson, Moderna, Pfizer. Uh, I don't know. Some people went over to like Russia just so they can get Vladimir Putin's vaccine. I want to know that, too. We should know all of it. This should not be a question. We shouldn't be fighting on whether the data is accurate or not or which data we should believe. This part should be easy. Coming up with policy prescriptions to try to get further ourselves in the pandemic is a whole nother situation. And we're going to have disagreements on that. But how many people are in the hospital right now based on whether they broke their leg or because they can't breathe because of covid? That should be freaking easy. And the Biden administration, for all of the praise they received coming into office as the adults in the room. The people who are going to take this seriously. You know, the big problem was Donald Trump. He didn't care. He didn't even want testing. He didn't care about anybody uh, living or dying. He didn't care about the data. He just wanted to win his election. 
So the big bad adult got into the room and he got trillions of dollars to spend to make this stuff better, among other things. And has he done it? Did he shut down the virus as promised? Did that occur? Look, it's been hard to keep track of because there have been so many catastrophic failures since Joe Biden got into office. None of the things he promised in the campaign have come to fruition. He has been a nonstop failure, a failure to a degree. I think most people, even people who didn't like him, couldn't have predicted. I mean, I thought he was going to be bad, but I didn't know it was possible to be this bad. This is something that's easy. Give people reliable information so they can make decisions based on their own risk profile. That's what I want in a country. I don't expect a country to protect me from every time I'm going to get the sniffles. What I do want them to do is give me reliable information that I can trust to make my own judgments. And that does not seem to be near the top of the priority list for the Biden administration. That is a cataclysmic failure, and it's just one of many. A lot of people now are out in the real estate market looking around, trying to think of something different. Maybe they're thinking maybe uh, an investment property somewhere, maybe a vacation property somewhere. Maybe they just want to get the heck out of Dodge. Well, in Panama, uh, there's a situation that you want to check out. You can be up to 10 times richer. How do you get 10 times richer in Panama? Well, it's a high-income nation uh, when you look at the scope of the world. Uh, It's not the old dusty third world picture that some of these places can be that are overseas. It's beautiful. Uh, It uses the U.S. dollar as its currency. That's nice. And every dollar in your bank account in Panama is worth up to like 10 times as much as the United States. It's inexpensive to live there. Picture what your savings looks like if it's uh, 10 times as big. What kind of lifestyle could you be living right now? Uh, Right now, as a uh, fan of my show, a a potential uh, listener uh, to this uh, stupid little show that we have here, you can learn more about this opportunity by getting the Complete Invest and Retire in Panama series. It includes the American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama, along with four videos. It's all for free. You can check it out now at buypanamanow.com slash stew. 100% free for the audience. Check out buypanamanow.com slash stew. Get your copy today. It's buypanamanow.com slash stew. It's always quite the wonderful treat to have Jack Helmuth join the show. He's co-host of the Questionable Material with Jack and Brian podcast, which you should go subscribe to right now if you haven't already. Jack, how's it going? I'm great, man. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Thank you. I should mention the Questionable Material uh, Best of 2021 podcast uh, is out and it's really funny. If you want to be onboarded to the Jack and Brian experience, it's a great place to start uh, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Very, very funny stuff. Thank you. Well, that's what we were hoping is that this would be the podcast for people to sort of show friends to be like, hey, there's funny material out there for smart people who are in the know. So thank you. Yes, it's it's very, very, very funny stuff. Um, Let me start here with something uh, a little bit more depressing. Uh, Bob Saget, which is uh, this is a a, a incredible story, Uh, you know, 65 years old, Mm -hmm. seemingly in fine health, was tweeting, you know, messaging his family and tweeting and messaging, uh, you know, his audience just a few hours before he apparently dies. What do we know about this at this point? Well, so far, we know that uh, from the uh, police reports from the site that there appears to be no evidence of drug use, no evidence of foul play. Um, I, obviously it is pure speculation that, uh, at this point, but it would seem to be that it would be 
one of those natural occurrences, maybe a heart attack or something like that. But it does not appear that there was anything, you know, there's not a Whitney Houston situation here or anything like that. Yeah. It just he's a 65 year old man and, you know, living life on the road isn't necessarily the healthiest way to uh, live life and to um, eat well. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, I think he's had one of the craziest careers that I can think of from any performer. Here's a guy who I think comes into America's home for, on full house in the most mm-hmm. like milk toast family friendly role of all time he then sort of parlays that into the second most family friendly milk <laughs> yes. toast role of all time <laughs> on America's home videos and yes. and he has this sort of like third act where people realize this guy's really funny and really harsh at times like he's a, he's an edgy comedian uh, edgy and bl- bluer than a Smurf, man. I mean, that guy just loves uh, to to be shocking and to be raunchy and to and to you know to sort of be that sort of you know he he's as you know his performances were a little bit milk toast on those ABC Family shows, but he sort of had that milk toast look a little bit, right? That sort of yeah. clean cut, you know. Uh, boring white dude thing <laughs> and so it, it sort of makes him more fun when he whips his glasses off like Clark Kent and is like haha I'm really filthy and everyone audience is like what is happening that's the dad from full house and he's saying all these horrible things not horrible things you know disgusting things in, mm-hmm. in fun he was just he was just a comedian he just truly liked to make people laugh which you know we have fewer and fewer of those today after his his dear friend Norm Macdonald it's interesting. Bob may have taken um, Norm Macdonald's death. They were like best friends. Took it harder than anyone I saw on social media. Everyone was shocked. Saget was heartbroken. And so it's a real sh- it's a real tragedy on its own, of course. But to lose two very special, unique, uh, funny men uh, so close together, um, you know, when we're in, in such short supply of them these days. What is uh, Saget's like place in, you know, the sort of the uh, the 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 landscape of comedy? I, he seems to me to be one of these guys that comedians love. I mean, he, I've always found him very funny when he does his stand-up, but he has a certain, a certain type of respect from other comedians that I think sets him apart from the average person who becomes popular on social media. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's, there's a, a Dave Chappelle and even a Colin Quinn on a, on a little bit of a less famous scale where um, comedians just look up for, to them for their writing and performing. Dave had that to a degree, but what really took it over the top for him was just how wonderful a human being he was. He was so darn nice, so kind. Pete Davidson texted today about how Bob would spend hours. I mean, there are generations, multiple generations apart. Bob would just be on the phone with Pete and Pete's mom, helping Pete with his mental health struggles just because he thought Pete was a nice kid and wanted to help them in that way. I mean, Bob was a, a wonderful person. I got to work with him uh, uh, one time on a, on a show and he was lovely, lovely, lovely person. Everyone liked him. He was so nice. Yeah. So that's his legacy. That's his legacy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because he did seem to, you know, everyone seemed to love him and he seemed to help a lot of younger comedians. That's one of those things where someone who reaches out to people who you know, it's at some level are trying to replace him, right? Like everyone's trying to just climb up yes. and, 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 and grab an audience and to help people uh, on that front, I think is, is something that you don't see very often, especially in, you know, in entertainment. I mean, you know, you've, you've been in entertainment for a long time, worked at SNL and a bunch of other places, uh, including The Blaze, obviously very low on the particular resume. <laughs> uh, but but it, it's one of those things where like people in entertainment are completely insane. You know, when they're nice to you, like it's a news story with Bob Saget, it just seemed like his everyday sort of life. 
It was. I, I've had the good fortune to work with a, a, a number of super lovely, lovely people from, you know, Will Ferrell and, and Bob and, and people like that who are, are just really wonderfully nice. But yes, it is an industry, especially in the stand up comedy world where there are a bunch of neurotic um, joke tellers sort of itching for 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 uh, stage time and, and feeling you know, envious and jealous of people who, uh, who make it, you know, there's a, a bunch of comedians who in that, um, who sort of didn't make it in that Ray Romano, Jerry Seinfeld era, who are, are still so bitter. They're still working today. And they're just like ticked because they, they're funnier and they're smart and they should have been chosen. Darn it. And <laughs> you know, the, isn't the world unfair. And there's uh, that energy in stand up comedy. And that's not, that doesn't exist with Bob. Bob was just lovely. So uh, you're right. It, that is definitely a thing in the entertainment industry. It is definitely a thing in comedy. And it wasn't uh, even a shred of it in, in Bob Saget. Now, I think we maybe told the story one time, but uh, this is several years ago. We had a pretty big named Hollywood producer guy come out to Texas to this studio to talk to Glenn and we all met with this guy and he had a pitch for something he wanted to try which was a basically a family guy style cartoon with mm -hmm. Glenn uh, as one of the main characters voicing one of the main characters and living next to him as his neighbor would be Bob Saget and it's so funny and I mean I think this show would have been incredible we had a few meetings on it and it just you know never wound up going anywhere as 99 yeah. percent of projects do but I mean that would have been an incredible <laughs> an incredible show and, and what I liked about the idea was I think they went to Glenn because they knew Glenn didn't mind mocking himself he didn't yep. mind being beat up as the uh, you know the evil conservative talk show host and yes. Bob didn't mind being beat up over being like the milk toast uh, boring guy like he liked he liked being attacked on there because he knew he had you if he went down that road he knew he could flip the table at any time and it was, he was amazing at doing it I, I, once again, that's a, a, you're spot on as always, frankly, <laughs> that's the, it's a perfect analogy because Glenn, when Brian and I started our show, uh, almost 10 years ago now on the blaze, Glenn met with us and said, uh, there's only one rule. You make fun of Republicans. You make fun of Democrats. You definitely make fun of me. Just be fair about it. <laughs> mm. it it's the greatest uh, a set of parameters that a comedian can be given and and where it was just about being funny it was just about being fair it was just about we didn't have an agenda other Bob shares that that's exactly right yeah um let me uh, go because you mentioned dave Chappelle uh earlier and uh, he's been in the middle of this weird <laughs> thing with Patton oswald and you know, yeah. I think Dave, uh, Dave Chappelle, who's one of the most talented comedians of all time, uh, he owns a room more than anybody I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he just, it's like puppets on strings with the audience. It's incredible. Um, it just as a performer to watch him uh, operate. Uh, but he's one of these guys. He's, he'll make fun of everybody. He'll make fun of culture. Yes. He'll make fun of conservatives and liberals. And obviously lately it's been, he's mentioned the transgender uh, population uh, a few times, and that's caused all sorts of controversy. Well, Patton Oswalt comes out, and he uh, posts a picture of his, him and his friend, and because people on social media react to it in a negative way, he pens one of the most pathetic statements I've ever seen from anyone, let alone a comedian who's supposed to be able to be honest and just say whatever he feels, and like, you know, he's got a, he's sitting in front of a mirror and he's writing on the, oh. I mean, the drop, the fake drama of it all. It's just infuriating. I don't know what gets into a person who, to make them feel they have to do that to their friend. Fear. 
fear, the, 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 the culture that we live in in the entertainment industry right now is unlike anything I have seen. I've been in it since 1997, so 25 years now. I'm an old, old man. I have never seen anything like this where – you know, people love to say on the left, like, oh, cancel culture, boo-hoo, that's not a real thing. If cancel culture were a thing, then why is Mel Gibson still occasionally get work? They, they always <laughs> sort of have this thing. Cancel culture is this. Cancel culture is putting the fear of God into anyone who would dare stand next to someone, not stand next to them ideologically, but physically stand next to them. Let me read you what Patton wrote. I'm sorry. So, so again, to set the stage, Patton Oswalt uh, has a photograph of himself and Dave Chappelle behind the scenes at a New Year's Eve comedy concert. Dave Chappelle and Patton Oswalt have been friends for 34 years. Mm. They started in comedy together like tight friends. Oswalt decides to just post this picture on Instagram. Here's his buddy. And he gets lit up as if standing next to someone means that you – subscribe to all of their same beliefs. Right. Like if I stand next to Bill Clinton, then I, I, I support NAFTA and, <laughs> you know, and I like feeling up interns and all this stuff that none of that is true. I just met him at a bookstore. It doesn't mean anything. It's just like, Hey, it's cool. It's the president. It, but in this day and age, in this fear culture, and, and I see it all the time where people sort of whisper to me because they know that I'm not going to judge them. And that I have different beliefs than other people. And they'll whisper to me like, you know, Hey, you know, I'm a pretty liberal guy, but this trans thing's like a little weird or or some other thing that mm -hmm. that goes against the one true opinion that you're allowed to have. And everyone is afraid to to go against it because of this very thing. Pat Oswalt writes, I'm sorry, truly sorry that I didn't consider the hurt this would cause <laughs> or the depth of that hurt. Uh, what, what depth? What, what depth could you, there possibly be? It's a picture. It's a picture of just – they're just buddies. Keep in mind, Chappelle, liberal dude. So is Joe Rogan, by the way. To talk about another thing everyone misses, he supported Bernie Sanders yeah, yeah. In, the, in the election. But no, he's, he must be conservative because he, he goes against certain ideas. Same thing here with Chappelle. With Chappelle. A liberal dude, a fairly liberal dude. Again, he doesn't subscribe to the one true idea. He's a thinking man. He has thoughts that are conservative, thoughts that are liberal. But overall, I'm sure he's voted liberal on the last seven presidential elections, if I had a guess. Mm -hmm. But it's not enough anymore. It's not enough. You have to be aligned to – the, to the 100th degree, if you stray one little bit, then that's it. We're done with you. You're a phobe uh, or a sexist or an ist, a racist or whatever ist, and and that's it. If you if you make fun of of Leah Thomas, who's the transgender swimmer at UPenn, then you must be a transphobe. That's not the case. No. You can be an ally of transphobia and think that perhaps uh, you can be, excuse me, an, an ally of the trans movement, but think that they shouldn't compete against uh, uh, women in sporting events. You're not allowed to have differing views. It's I've never seen anything like it. It is scary. It's scary for me to do my podcast. It's scary for me to be on the show with you because, oh, my gosh, he and Stu are friends. Jack <laughs> must be a hateful bigot. And and of course I am, but that's not that's just coincidence. <laughs> well, you should be, by the way, uh, just as a side note, you should be scared to do your podcast. I mean, uh, I feel scared I listening to it. My wife doesn't like it. Uh, yes. often. <laughs> but it's a great yes. ride. I will tell you, uh, you got to check it out. Uh, questionable material with Jack and Brian. Jack Helmuth is the co-host. Uh, you can so subscribe to that podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts and check out that uh, 2021 year in review, which has a lot of the best stuff they've done from over the year. Uh, Jack, thanks so much for coming on the program, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me.
So it's a new year. You might be able to, well, you're thinking maybe I should take off a few, like 10% of the COVID weight, just 10%, you know, that's not a big goal. Shouldn't be that hard. Well, uh, you need something that's going to help you get through the day. And Built Bar is here to save that day for you. They've got so many flavors. We're talking about things like coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream. These are protein bars. They've got like, I don't know, like usually like 140 calories, maybe 18 grams of protein, low sugar, low carbs, all that but they don't taste like they were built uh, at a uh, chemical company that ran into a sawdust factory. Uh, that's the normal protein bar. That's not what Built Bars are. Built.com is a place to go to get these things and get you through the New Year's resolution in a positive way. Go uh, there and use the promo code STU15. You'll save 15% off your first order. Promo code is STU15 for 15% off at Built.com. On Friday's program, we talked to Dan Andros, uh, editor of uh, Faithwire.com, about homeschooling, private schools, pod learning, all these education alternatives that I think are, are really important. And I was kind of worried that, you know, look, it doesn't work for everybody in every situation. And sometimes people get offended by that. They're like, I can't believe you. I can't do that for X, Y, or Z. I know you might not be able to do it. Maybe you can't. But it's all about just thinking about these things in a different way and maybe changing your priorities a little bit. Um, but I will say I was encouraged by, you know, almost all the comments were really positive on it. This, uh, this one comes in from Carolyn. Uh, loved hearing from Dan Andrews. So thankful for the show and highlighting the different options there are out there for parents. Also, I was all for Trump 2020. But I think it's time to move forward with something, someone like DeSantis. But then again, my hope is whoever the next president is. Uh, another response, I'm, I'm not even a parent and I greatly appreciate uh, his slash their efforts. I don't know what his, I don't know if he's saying that Dan's pronoun may be there. I don't know, it's possible. Uh, let's get into the fight for the future. Really, really important. Um, uh, go back and check out that show if you're thinking about um, you know, what's going on in our kids' schools and not happy with it because uh, I think it's something really important to talk about. And a lot of times this stuff comes down to just thinking about things differently. We get into these patterns where we're, we, there's, like a, there's a beaten path and you think that's the only way to go. And at times you need to stop yourself and rethink your priorities. And I thought this was a really uh, interesting part of an interview um, with Dan Patrick and Kyle Brandt uh, from his 10 Questions podcast, talking about uh, Dan Patrick, who's a famous guy from ESPN, if you don't know who he is, big sports guy, was one of the biggest celebrities in the history of ESPN, making millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he had a decision to make, and I thought it was really interesting the way he worked through that decision. So my kids were, you know, nine through 15, four kids. And I was going to re-sign at ESPN. I was going to sign a new five-year deal. And I remember that morning, my wife said, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, hell yeah. And then she said, they're, they're going to all be out of the house. They're, they're going to be all out of the house when you're done with this. And I'm not even thinking that. I went upstairs and my boss said, so uh, what are you going to do? Take it or leave it? And I pause and I said, I'm, I'm going to leave it. And I have three daughters and it was so important to be around them because they were, you know, nine, yeah. uh, 11 and 12. And it, you know, they needed, they needed me there. I didn't know how much. Mm -hmm. And even my son who was 15, uh, best decision I ever made. And really, I mean, it's a cool story. Uh, and, 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 you know, look, we can all, I mean, Dan did very well in his other job where he did, and, uh, made millions of dollars on his podcast and radio show. Uh, but, he, but he did it from his house and he could have made a lot more money and he could have been focused on his career even more. And he was able to find a midpoint where he could still keep things together, 
and still have a great life, I'm sure, but also be there for his kids. And, you know, everyone, we see so much of the nonsense out there. You know, celebrities naming their kids all sorts of crazy things and abandoning them, and they turn into terrible, you know, drug addicts and all the things that go on. It's just nice to see. You know, it doesn't have to be that way for everybody. Uh, so that uh, podcast is available if you want to listen to it. Kyle Brandt's 10 Questions with Dan Patrick. We live in a culture of increasing sources of misinformation. It's now more important than ever to re- for you as a parent to raise inquisitive children who ask their own questions and find their own answers. Annie's Genius Box is an excellent way to encourage your kids' curiosity while providing fun activities that are as entertaining as they are educational. Each month, your young scientists will get a new box bursting with three hands-on activities to explore exciting STEM-themed, uh, whatever the theme of the month is, geology, maybe chemistry, aerodynamics, all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, it's perfect for kids ages 7 to 12. I've got a couple in that group. i got to get me one of these. This is an awesome idea. Genius Box can empower your kids' imagination and critical thinking skills. The exciting top-secret mission envelope in every box will walk them through multiple amazing projects each month. Your kids can design a hovercraft, examine fossils, build robots, and so much more. I, my kids would love this. How do I not have one of these things yet? I and mean, this is crazy. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew is the place to go. Get 50% off your first box. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew. A really cool idea for your kids. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew. An international conspiracy between powerful bankers, business leaders, and government officials, closed-door meetings in the Swiss Alps, and calls for a radical transformation of every society on Earth. The Great Reset sounds like it's one henchman with an eye patch away from being the plot of the next James Bond movie, but The Great Reset is not a work of fiction. Actually, it's a new book from Glenn Beck, available tomorrow. Uh, in just a few hours, if you happen to be uh, listening to this show live, um, you can watch. You get the audio book in just a few hours, or you can schlep it out to the store and get it as well. Uh, Glenn has been working on this book for a while. Uh, it is an important uh, book because, look, The Great Reset is something that you really do need to know about. But if you get locked into too many crazy online places, people they go off the rails. you got to know what's real about this, that it is an actual plan and it is a, an idea to change global capitalism. They say for the better. I don't think you'd agree with that. The Great Reset, um, it is Joe Biden and the rise of 21st century century fascism. It is available Tuesday. That's tomorrow. New book by Glenn Beck. Go to glensnewbook.com so you can pick it up. Glensnewbook.com. Okay, so here's what happened. A couple, Ben Rocky Harris and Danielle Witt, were looking for a new home. They didn't go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That I can promise you. So they're looking for the home. They're in Maryland, and they find this house, and it's only $69,000, which seems incredibly cheap for the area. Well, uh, they... They pulled the trigger. This is an incredible house. It's a starter home, only 69 grand, a great value. They later find out that in 1949, a 14-year-old boy was possessed by a demon in this home. At least there's a story about that. And that story later turned into The Exorcist, the movie. So they, they bought the location of the possession from The Exorcist. 
And I mean, look at the home. It just, I don't know. There's something weird about it. The stairs are not centered with the door and the windows are like, I mean, the whole thing just looks freaking creepy. I'll tell you that. Not to mention, I don't know how much interior cleaning you need to do to get rid of that smell. Do we have a vomit-scented Glade plug-in in this bedroom? I don't understand what's... I just feel like it would be... I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a low enough price to get me into that house, but maybe that's just me.